Hey gang, it's Harold. I'm podcasting to you from the bunker. In the interest of distracting myself and my gaming friends, I'm reaching out to some interesting people to ask them what they're doing game-wise. With such a big time dividend, I want to hear what they're playing, designing, and thinking about. No CNN, no CNBC, just games. My production obsession will have to take a wait as I'm most interested in communicating with you rapidly and with some interesting content. This podcast documents a discussion I had with Jason Carr. Jason is the staff developer with GMT Games. He gets to see a lot of stuff, and he gets to see it well before we do. Hey, Harold, how's it going? Hey, Jason, how you doing? I'm doing real well. Hey, thanks for taking the time to talk to me from the bunker. Happy to do it. So, uh, so the idea is for us to talk about a number of things related to games. And uh, the ground rules are no medical discussions, no political discussions, no financial market discussions, please. And I'd just love to hear what's going on. What are you playing? What are you working on? That kind of stuff. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, you know, I'll start us off here. I just got my advanced copy of uh, Labyrinth Forever War, um, which is the new expansion for for the Labyrinth game series. And so I've got that set up. I've been playing it a bunch, and it's just a blast. What strikes you with, with the new copy? So, well, I mean, the first thing that struck me was we chose this orange color for the backs of the cards that really stands out and is very different than awakening or the labyrinth base game and i think it just sets the mood perfectly for the game sure you know it's called forever war it's not a it's not a optimistic game um unfortunately but it does evoke all of the right emotions and tones uh for what it's been like over the last five years in the middle east yes and um the game the game uses mostly the awakening rule set so if you know how to play awakening you pretty much know how to play forever war there's very few additional rules and uh, so it's basically a bunch of new scenarios with a new deck of cards that tell new stories and let you kind of explore uh, the same problem spaces that we've been able to to play with in Labyrinth and Labyrinth Awakening. That's awesome. And, and then, of course, with the release of Labyrinth by Playdeck on Steam this week or last week, not sure which week, but it, it's, uh, you know, I start to think now about... Uh, how easy it would be for Playdeck once they get the bugs out of Labyrinth to just add on the expansions. Yeah, I think they are very excited about having more expansions and more scenarios to continue to expand the Labyrinth game. And um, you know, I've played a bunch of the the Labyrinth digital. I was one of the playtesters in beta, and since it released, I've been playing it a lot. And it's just a great adaptation and it's going to be a lot of fun once it's all done it's also going to be a great one for us to play um you know to to be able to play remotely right on steam we'll be able to match up and 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 play that remotely of course i'm looking forward to the ios version yeah i mean obviously it wasn't planned but this is a great time for them to to be able to put something out there for for folks to be able to play remotely right absolutely now that the uh Changing times um, is a double-edged sword, isn't it? Definitely is. So that's great. That's a good. That's a good start to your uh, 
you, to your to your time off. What else? What else do you think about playing? Well, I've been playing a lot of coin games. You know, I'm a the series developer for coin, and I've got two things set up on my table right now that I have to trade back and forth between because they both use the same base game, which is uh, the Fire in the Lake Fall of Saigon expansion from Volko, Runka, and uh, Mark Herman. And then I have the new bot set for the base Fire in the Lake game called the the Trung box, Bots, which is from Bruce Mansfield. And I've been, I'm developing both of those and I've been playing them a ton. Uh, Fall of Saigon is just a blast. It's everything you love about Fire in the Lake, but it's shorter and it is more akin to Cuba Libre in its interactions. So it's a little bit more of that knife fight in a phone booth kind of style of coin game that people like. And uh, it's that playtesting that has just been a ton of fun. There's, there's new pieces, there's armor in the game. So you can roll tanks down the highway. Um, there's a whole new set of cards for it that cover the events of 73, 74, 75. Um, there's a completely different method of play for the U S that kind of reminds me of the French in Liberty or death where they are, influencing but they don't have so many pieces on the board um in fact all the u.s has after paris is their their ranger pieces their irregular pieces excuse me um so they have very minimal ability to influence the board via their actual forces they are mostly using the arvin forces and hoping that they can uh create enough support to to push themselves over the victory threshold now how does the map change for that so it's actually the exact same map. Um, there's going to be an overlay that covers one of the um, overflow boxes. That's the Paris, uh, sorry, the U.S. posture track. So that tracks how engaged the U.S. is, anything from abandonment to actually resuming bombing. Um, and then the the rest of the map stays the same. Interesting. What about victory conditions? So the victory conditions uh, don't change directly, but they are modified by the presence of two new markers that subtract from the victory total of the United States and the NVA. Uh, the U.S. has to deal with anti-war. So if they choose to stay in the war in Paris, um, there's a pretty big groundswell of anti-war opinion that subtracts from their victory. If they leave, they can kind of start to calm that down, and there's various event cards that let them push it down further. And that anti-war is just sub straight up subtracted from their from their support plus uh, available total. On the NVA side, they have war weariness, which just represents the willingness of the northern Vietnamese people to continue to fight. And again, if they choose to stay in the war at Paris, that goes up. Um, it can be dropped by events, but really war weariness, once it gets to a certain level, means the only way the NVA can win the game is to take Saigon. And take Saigon means majority pieces? Yeah, so actually there's a new, you, that's a good call out. There is a new victory condition. If the NVA control Saigon, um, they win the game at the, end of a, at the end of a campaign. So if a coup card comes up and the NVA control Saigon, they win. I can't wait to get my hands on that thing. <laughs> it really changes the dynamics of everything. And so, uh, yeah, if you, in the meantime, for people who are excited about that, I would recommend reading uh, Black April. Um, it's the, the main source that Mark used to get the force composition right for the second half of the game. And in fact, 
um, Fall of Saigon comes with a two-player scenario called Black April that's just Arvin versus NVA. There's no US pieces. There's no um, VC pieces. And I think that's really the hidden gem of the whole, the whole package. It's really fun. So you mentioned the bots and the change in the bots for the base game. I assume it will also be for Fall of Saigon. Why don't you talk a little bit about how the bots are changing? Yeah, I'd love to. So as you know, we are using the system from Gandhi. So it's card driven. Um, it has a set of charts that are um, a lot more straightforward than the bot charts that have come with previous coin games. Um, we've definitely learned a lot from those bot charts. And so this is really more or less a refinement of the logic that was in those. Um, for Gandhi, it was really easy to make those cards because Bruce, who designed the card bot system, also designed the game that they were running. So he knew the game inside and out. Uh, for Fire in the Lake, that was a very different challenge. Bruce had to get super familiar with Fire in the Lake. He talked to Volko and Mark about it. He tried to understand their intent, uh, why things were designed the way they were. And then he played the heck out of Fire in the Lake. And once he felt like he had a pretty good handle on it, he started putting his bot together. And what he learned was he didn't have a pretty good handle on it. And he had to go back and play it some more uh, <laughs> to, to figure out all the little nuances. Because Fire in the Lake is an incredibly layered and complex game. And that's what makes it so much fun. But it also makes it really hard to create a good non-player system. So we've made some changes. Uh, one change that, that had to be made and was we figured out about halfway through the process was that while in Gandhi, the non-player factions use no resources at all in Trung for fire in the lake. If the player is either Arvin or the U S they have to use resources because those resources are a constraint on the other player. And if the non-player faction doesn't use resources, it unconstrained a player in a way that wasn't good for the game. So we had to add a little bit of complexity back in order to make the game work as well as possible. And so our philosophy has always been the non-player should be as complex as it needs to be to play well, but no more than that. And this was an area where we found that we had to put some complexity back into the game. It's going to be an exciting change. What are the plans as it relates to players that have older versions of uh, Fire in the Lake? Yeah, so if you have a first edition and you want to get a hold of these bots, um, there's an upgrade kit that includes the bots, and they'll work with first edition right out of the box. We, we do recommend using the second edition airstrike rules. So there's a change from the U.S. automatically taking six pieces off to taking a die roll of pieces off um, for an airstrike. We recommend the second edition airstrike, and that was a balance fix. The U.S. was just winning too often. Um, so, but the game is fully compatible with first edition. And if you have second edition, it's fully compatible with that. And then I think the hope is that going forward, this would be the standard bot that comes with the game. Yeah, you asked about Fall of Saigon. I wanted to I wanted to talk about the bots in Fall of Saigon. Please. They're, they're going to be exciting too. So they're not the same as the bots for Fire in the Lake. They're a completely new set of cards. They're going to work the same way, but you'll have to buy... When you buy Fall of Saigon, they'll be in the box and they'll only work for Fall of Saigon. So if you want to play with the card-based bots in Fire in the Lake, you got to get the upgrade kit. Otherwise, you won't have them. Now, one of the things that... Um... 
I talked to Bruce about a great deal was when he did Gandhi, he actually adjusted some of the event cards to reflect the, or to reduce the complexity in the bots themselves, which is really something we've never really done in coin, right? In the past, yeah, we've designed the game and then designed the bots as an afterthought. So, so for the first time, Bruce was thinking about the bots as he was designing and adjusting the events. And I'm sure that's reflected in fall of Saigon to some, some degree, but did it, did you, did you feel that as you were going through the play testing? We did. There's, in Fire in the Lake, there are some events that are just really hard to think about from a non-player perspective. And we wanted to have as few additional instructions as possible for players. So in Gandhi, there's no event sheet that says, here's how you resolve this event. Every event in the game can be resolved uh, the same way that you would uh, resolve an operation or a special activity. Um, which is not to say that all the events merely give you operations or special activities, but they do things that are common to the game, like shifting supporter opposition, adding pieces, removing pieces. And Gandhi doesn't have any capabilities or momentum cards. So it's a little bit simpler in that regard. With Fire in the Lake, no, there's capabilities, and the capabilities are massively game-changing. If you think about the Arvin's um, armored transport capability that they get, that is just game-breakingly different than anything that you've seen before because it allows movement and assault in the same action, which is kind of a no-no for coin in general. Um, so we, <laughs> we spent a lot of time thinking about this, and with a combination of adding some new columns to the space selection tables and carefully deciding which events were even going to be executed by the non-player, we were able to reduce the number of event instructions down dramatically. Um, and so this comes back to Bruce's attempt to really internalize the system and really understand it deeply. Uh, and he was able to kind of see the patterns or you know, kind of see the matrix as it was and, and make the right choices to enable the system to flow as, as simply as possible. That said, um, when you play Trung, you're going to know that it was a bolt-on. You're going to know that there were some some accommodations made to handle event cards. With, with Fall of Saigon, Volko has been very clear from the beginning. If any of these cards can't work with the solo system, let's have a conversation about it. So we're just getting started with that process on Fall of Saigon, but it's a huge relief to be able to dive in and know if we run into an event card that's going to be super difficult, that the designer is totally willing to make solo play a priority, and design the game in such a way that it works just as well solitaire as it does multiplayer. Well, the other, you know, the other factor here for me is I look forward to you guys finishing this. So perhaps we can move on to something else like Liberty or Death. Yeah, I think, you know, we have a team that we are putting together of folks who know how to do these bots. So uh, not just Bruce, but myself, uh, Ken T is using these bots in People Power and he has been leading the design of the system there. Um, and there's some other projects in the works I'm not quite ready to talk about, but suffice it to say, there are other gentlemen who are working on this as well. And we would love to see these come to most of the coin games that are out there. Um, you know, designer willing and designer wanting to participate in the process like you do. Um, we would love to see Liberty or Death get these bots, Falling Sky um, get these bots, and, and all the other games as well. 
Yeah, agreed, agreed. I, you know, I, I listen to you, and I'm just uh, still amazed at at the work that Volko started and the culture he's created. I don't know that he was thinking about it when he did it, but certainly excellent work yields excellent results. And it's amazing that there are so many people so enthusiastic about it and spending so much creative time. And, and not just to create the games for the first time, but to advance the ball, right? The second, third generation of bots at this point. It's just very a very cool thing to see in, in a hobby where you know people generally are working for for uh, for love of the games. Yeah, I agree completely, and I think Volko and I have talked about this a lot. I think there's two reasons that that you see that. One is people love these games, and nobody wants to spend a ton of work and effort on on advancing a game system that nobody plays. So, you know, you see a lot of people get involved here because they love the games, and other people love them too. But the second reason, which you just absolutely hit the nail on the head, is Volko has just been so wonderful in being selfless with his creation and saying to people, hey, take this and make it what you want it to be. So, you know, I have no doubt that Volko did not have uh, it in mind when he designed Indian Abyss that this was going to be something that would go all the way from Roman Britain to, you know, potentially a sci-fi setting in the future. Um, there's no way to foresee that. And it's people like you and Bruce who have taken the system and, and done completely new things with it. People like Uryan, who, uh, Botman, who designed all the bots uh, of that second edition along with uh, Vezar Ponin. And they really pushed the state of the art for what the bots could do and how competitive they could be. And so, you know, we, Bruce and I will freely admit we're standing on the shoulders of giants here. We can see farther because people like Volko have been so selfless. Agreed. No, he's a gem. So, um, he's fantastic. Absolutely. So I was going to go on and, and let you talk some more about what else you're doing, but I, I do want to get some thoughts from you on the South China Sea bot. So uh, Flashpoint South China Sea on P500, um, but you and I are working on, well, you're working on a solo system for the game that is going to be super cool and super fast and simple based on where we are now. Yeah, um, I would love to talk about that. That's another game that's sitting on my table right next to... Uh, I actually have two games on my table right now. Um, South China Sea is on the left-hand side, and Hunt for Blackbeard is on the right-hand side. Um, Volko's Hunt for Blackbeard game, which, by the way, people are sleeping on that one. It is so good. When it when it goes back on P500, uh, people have to get on that because it's, it's outstanding. Um well, look, and, and if you're and if you're not willing to take a blind bet on Volko right now, you're crazy. I completely agree. When's the last time he made something that was terrible? Seriously. Um, South China Sea. So, you know, I played that with you at the warehouse, and um, I just couldn't get out of my head. There's there's something very evocative about the game. Um, it's Twilight Struggle esque in the way that you can make a move and your opponent can undo it very easily. Um, but once you get an advantage, that advantage is very hard to rest away. And that's something about Twilight Struggle that I think people love. There's that chess match kind of feeling. And that's very present in South China Sea. Um, so I played it. And uh, late that night, I got back to my hotel room and I just couldn't sleep. And my roommate uh, that I usually stay with at the at the weekends, um, Michael, had had to go home. 
And so I had the hotel room to myself and I was just sitting there kind of almost pacing, thinking about the game and thinking about how you could play it solitaire. And I jotted down some notes on the pieces of paper. There's a notepad on the desk. I just started designing solo cards sitting at the desk and I came up with an eight card deck of cards that could basically play the game. And um, I remember coming and talking to you about it the next day and you kind of gave me this look like, okay, well you go chase that and let's see what happens. And you know, I managed to make it work. And what's really interesting about it is I've gone through six or seven iterations, um, each iteration getting progressively farther and farther away from what I designed in the hotel room. And at some point, I just keep coming back to that first design because the simplicity of it and the speed of it is really what makes the game work um, solitaire. There's no there's no reason for a game like Flashpoint that you can play in 30, 40 minutes against an opponent to have a bot that is complex and hard to run. Uh, the joy of it is being able to play it very fast. So um, you want me to give a quick description of the bot and how it works and why, why we're doing it? Yeah, let's take the time. Go ahead. Cool. So I have two major philosophical pieces that I use in solitaire design. The first is um, the player turns insofar as is possible, should never be changed. So I want the player to play their turn exactly the same as they would play it against another opponent. The other piece is that the complexity of the bot should be commensurate with the complexity of the game. And so Flashpoint South China Sea is a relatively simple game mechanically. Its complexity emerges from the interactions between the players. So the bot should be relatively simple mechanically, and its complexity should emerge from the way that it interacts with the player. And to achieve that, we have an eight card deck for each faction in the game. So there's one for the Chinese and one for the United States. The front side of the card lists the operations they can take, the actions they can perform during the game. And um, it's somewhat Automa-like in that. Um, it doesn't check board state whenever it decides what to do. It just is given a list of instructions and performs them. The back sides of the cards is kind of where the intelligence of the bot is. It's space selection priorities. So from the top to the bottom, it lists all the spaces on the board that it could select, and it says what order it will select them in. And it, there's actually quite a bit of intelligence in that, because the Chinese bot is trying to, to pursue a strategy of um, reclamation on the islands, and it's playing the long game. So it's going to try to beat you in final scoring. The US bot is not doing that. And so its space selection is very different. It's trying to win um, in the economic realm. And that tension for the player, you know what they're going to do, but you don't know how they're going to do it. And so it becomes very hard to stop. And that is a lot of fun. It's uh, it's terrific. And it's terrific, as you said, in the, in the simplicity. I think with the addition of some some mechanics, this last, uh, last round will give us some nice levers to adjust the, the complexity and the challenge level for the solo players. Yeah, I think I think there's there's some new things that we can leverage that I'm very excited about. And you know, Harold, I'll also tell you one of the great parts about this has been seeing how applicable it is to other games. So, um, you know, I've been talking to to some other solitaire designers about generalizing this system and being able to think about it as something that could play, for example, Fort Sumter, um, which is again an area control game with simple CDG mechanics. Um, and it seems like that's something that it could possibly do. So, you know, that's a, maybe a stay tuned, but 
it's something that I'm thinking about a lot is how can we build these systems and then generalize them so they can play other games as well. Well, that's, that's great. Now, the, the thing that Mark did that I intentionally avoided in South China Sea, um, not because it's a bad thing, but because I just I didn't want it at a fast play game, is the hidden card, right? You select a card or your last card in your hand goes into that pool of cards that's resolved at the end of the game. And it's a very tempting mechanic when you're trying to create variety of, of strategies in a, uh, in a in a simple game. But I fought that one, so it will be interesting to see how you deal with that in the context of the bot. So I'm not asking for your answer, but I'm, I'm very interested in seeing how you resolve that. And I, I know how big your brain is, and I know you will. Yeah, actually, Luke Billingsley is the one who has been uh, helping me kind of ponder through that. And uh, he has some great ideas on that one. So again, stay tuned. Yes, absolutely. Let's let's hear about uh, what else you're working on and, and intending to play this break. Yeah, so I've got two more things for you. Well, let's say three more things for you. Um, I'll touch on one of them briefly. Um, so John Butterfield and I have been working on uh, Space Corp Ventures, which is the expansion to Space Corp. Um, it adds uh, 12 new corporations that you get to play as. So basically personas or, or special player powers, and they radically change the game. So you might have um, a corporation that can't use other people's infrastructure at all, but they have their own special abilities that change the way that they play. And uh, playtesters have absolutely loved it. It adds a ton new, of new solitaire content. So if, if you play Space Corp solo, you definitely want to get Space Corp Ventures. Um, it makes the solo opponent much harder um, and gives you a lot of new experiences and new scenarios to play on the solo side. So... That is done. We've wrapped up all our playtesting. Um, you know, I'm going to be writing a series of articles for Inside GMT, spoiling some of the corporations and talking about solo play and stuff over the next couple months. Um, but we're we're heading to art here pretty soon for that, and I am super excited for people to get it. So, um, just a quick mention of that. I'm not actually playing that right now. I'm getting ready to. I'm proofreading rules and getting ready to send it to Mark uh, Simonich for art. So. That's great. And, and you know, to me, whatever Volkerunka, Mark Herman, and John Butterfield create, I'm going to buy, r- regardless of the story or what I know about it. That's basically me as well. I have, I have my list of designers that are instant buys. Um, and and he, John is one of them. Actually, working with John has been almost a bucket list item for me, and he's fantastic to work with. I'm sure it's, uh, you know, hanging out with those guys, you just hope a little bit of the brilliance rubs off, right? Tell, tell me about it. Um, so speaking of that, another person that I love working with is uh, Mike Berticelli. And so we have two new Tank Duel products that are on P500 right now yes. that Mike and I are, are working on. So we've got scenarios in progress for our North Africa set, and North Africa is going to be a lot of fun. It adds heat rules, um, haze, sandstorms, minefields. Um, we're going to add rules for armored cars. So they have tiny little guns, but man, do they shoot a lot. <laughs> and uh, we're going to add uh, a bunch of new tanks and then a lot more historical scenarios in this box. So one thing folks have asked for is more history, more historical scenarios instead of the abstract ones that came in the first game. Um, the cool part is all the scenarios that came in the East Front box can have desert terrain added to them and be turned into North Africa scenarios. So 
um, except the historical ones. So we're going to add a few more kind of generic scenarios and then a, a bunch more historicals, um, which I think people will really like. And then we also have a tank pack, which expands the East Front with all the Lend-Lease tanks. So if you want Soviet uh, Lend-Lease tanks, you definitely want to get the tank pack. And that will have a bunch more historical scenarios for the East Front as well. So that system is just growing. People love it. Um, I love it. It's I, I've played Tank Duel more than any other game, and I still love playing it. So I've, I've probably played 200 games of Tank Duel, and I would still get it out and play it. And of course, the Solitaire system for that, which was uh, my creation that Mike spent a ton of time helping me get right, um, that is going to work for all this stuff coming in the next box as well. We were uh, we were at Dice Tower West in Las Vegas several weeks ago before we all hunkered down, and uh, I got to play that with the Dice Tower crew, and we played. We checked out the they had a version in their they had a copy in their library. We checked it out and played sixteen hours straight with varying <laughs> groups of people, varying sizes of scenarios. Wow. And, and it's, uh, you know, it's just so much fun. And, and you know, it's, it's it, in my mind, as we were talking about it over the table, some of the people who had never played it and some of the people who didn't play war games said, this is as much a party game as it is a war game. And and I thought that was an interesting way to put it. And, and may, you know, it may be a little bit offensive to, to some of us old school war gamers, but the way I looked at it was it just appeals to such a broad group and it's, and it's so much fun. And, you know, there was um, a young lady that was playing with us and, and she got so much joy out of throwing a mud cart in front of my tank as I'm trying to maneuver onto the hill that, uh, you know, the gotcha was from her was more about just being able to screw up somebody's plans as it was to shoot, you know, penetrating around through their tank. You're 100% right on that. And I think about games like uh, Robo Rally or Cash and Guns that are more of that party style game or that game that you would play while you have a beer. And and you, you think about the stories you create when you play those games with your buddies. That's what, that's what the joy is of playing Tank Duel. And so my favorite game of Tank Duel, I got obliterated. I got three points the whole game. But man, I can think back to that and all the stories and all the craziness that happened. And it was just a great time. No, I had, you know, I had one of those games there as well, where I had, I had the tank and of course I was the big mouth at the table. So everybody decided that they were going to fire at me. And I survived three penetrating rounds before my crew bailed out uh, from a fire they couldn't control. And, uh, you know, the, the, just the, the narrative that comes away. And I, like you said, I, I many times measure a game by the story you tell when you walk away from the table and how long that story lasts as to how long that story lasts as to how, how good that game actually is. I got one more thing for you, Harold. Please. So uh, I'm also working on a game that has gotten a little bit less attention uh, called the Weimar Republic, which covers the... Um, 1919 to 1930 period of, of Weimar Germany. And uh, that is that is coming along very nicely. And it's a very different kind of CDG than anything that other people have played. Um, the designer on that, Gunner, uh, is a first-time designer. 
and he has really done a phenomenal job listening to other people and and incorporating their feedback while staying very true to his vision for what the game should be. Um, that is something that we've been working on for quite a while, and it's still got a ways to go. But if you are a big CDG fan, um, definitely do not miss that one because it's tons of fun. And checks the box of being a, a topic that isn't overly gamed, right? No, not at all. And, and you know, it's really an exploration of the, the on-the-street political movements uh, during that time. So it's less about parliamentary control, although that's part of the game, and more about the hearts and minds. And it attempts to answer some questions about why things happened uh, during that time period and... Um, gives the players agency to attempt to change those things much in the same way that labyrinth does um you know a jihadist player in labyrinth has to ask themselves some questions as they're playing the game and i think they realize some things as they're playing um and our hope is weimar does the same thing uh and yeah it's it's a it's a lot different than any other cdg that i have ever played that's great Jason, uh, thanks for taking the time and, and sharing with us your plans and what you're working on. Always interesting, and I, I hope that at some point we can do a full full podcast where I can ask you a bunch of questions about yourself. You're such an interesting guy, and you got such an interesting job, so you see so much. But um, I, I, I will say in the interim, uh, I wish you and your family good health and good times, and, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Absolutely. Same to you, Harold.